on, stand with us this morning as we open in worship with a great hymn. Let's ask the Lord to revive our hearts, stir our hearts, and draw us close to Him this morning. We praise Thee, O God, for the Son of Thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah, Thine the glory. Hallelujah, Amen. Hallelujah, Thine the glory. Revive us again. We praise Thee. Has shown us our Savior and scattered our night. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, Amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Revive us again. Fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be so glad to see you and we hope you're having a wonderful week and I uh, just want to take a, a moment pastor Steve is on a much needed vacation um, I needed a much uh, I told him go ahead and take a vacation I need it so uh, we, are, we are super stoked and glad that you're here and uh, hey if you're a first-time guest with us I want you to know that we are honored that you're here if you would take a moment and text the word hi to 615-776-1807. We would love to just start a conversation um, on how we can begin to serve your family and, um, and how you can plug into our church family. So again, we're super stoked to see you this morning. We've got a guest speaker. I'm gonna tell you a little bit about him here in just a little bit. But until then, let's continue to praise the one that we came to worship this morning. Sing along with us today. Standing on your faithfulness 
tell you we're living in exciting times right now if you've watched what's going on all around our college campuses all over the south God is moving and my prayer this morning is that as God moves across the south as he as he moves across the U.S. and across the world Lord if you have something for me please don't pass us by we want what you have for us as I was looking into the revival that that started at Asbury I watched the service that started that revival. The song that, that we're about to sing that Sandy is gonna lead us in is a song that stirred so many hearts. And my prayer is that, that this morning that it would stir your heart. I believe the revival starts out of a heart and a posture of gratefulness. So if you're grateful to God this morning and you're thankful, let him know that with your praise, with your mouth. And this altar is always open. If we're singing this song and, and you just want to come and thank him here at this altar, mind the Lord and feel free to do that, Sandy. I love you, Lord. Sing with me. Oh, your mercy never fails me. And all my days I've been held in your hand. From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head Oh, I will sing Of the goodness of God So my life you have been faithful Has he been faithful to you this morning? And all my life you have been so, so You are close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend And I have lived in the goodness of God And all my life you have been faithful Yes, he has Give you everything 
You've prayed a thousand prayers, but still the answer hasn't come. And a thousand hopes left broken has left you all but none. I can't begin to tell you why he's asking you to wait. But here in the silence, keep holding on to faith. Cause the God I know can still move mountains. How many of you know that this morning? The God I know still calls the raging sea. He holds you safely in his arms and he won't let go. That's the God I know. Sunset Hills. How you doing? It's good to be here. It's very good. <laughs> I'll put that. My bones. Are, well, that is true. That's so true. Am I, what am I doing? I think I pushed the thing. 
all the way in. Here we go. Let's sound check this. Excuse the uh, backside check. Good? Okay. Sorry about that, you guys. Well, again, as, uh, as was set up, my name's Eric Van Patten, and uh, my family's right over here with our friends, the Scorups. So that's Ray and Jessica and their son Brody, and then a few of my kids. Um, as was said earlier, uh, I have a few arrows in the quiver. So we have 10 children. Uh, uh, the oldest is 30 years old, and our youngest is with us here, Joe. He's 13. And it's six boys and four girls. And uh, I never came from a big family all. I just, it was just me and my sister. And we just started having kids and loved having more kids and more kids. And that's just how it went. So we were that weird family that just sort of broke the norm, especially in California. So maybe a little more routine possibly here in the south, the southeast, where you could see some big families. Maybe not quite so much now, but definitely more in the past. But it's been a, a great opportunity for us. Five of our children do live in the state of Tennessee. Um, one of our sons, who's not married yet, he moved out here to join us, and he's a blue-collar man, works in the plumbing industry. He's back in California visiting his siblings and, and his friends. And then um, my oldest daughter that had come over to Tennessee back in 2021, she's in eastern Tennessee, and she works for a camp called Longview Christian Camps out towards uh, Knoxville, kind of out in that eastern part of our beautiful state of Tennessee. So, yeah, the background and the history on us is that uh, um, I've been in ministry for over 32 years, uh, youth culture for half of that time, so high school and college and uh, junior high ministries, and then um, worked into associate pastor roles. At one point, I served on staff with my father-in-law. My wife's dad has been a pastor, Southern Baptist preacher pastor, for like 45, 50 years. So I got the privilege and served on staff there at San Diego when I was finishing up seminary. Um, and then was an associate pastor at Grove Hill Church just not too far down the road in little rural Chapel Hill, Tennessee. So um, super excited about being here. How did I get to know Steve, though, Steve and, and Lynn? Well, uh, you know, it's always just a few degrees of connections between one person to the next. And a friend of mine named Scott Harris that I went to college with and I went to seminary with, he was missions pastor at Brentwood Baptist Church. And so when I rekindled relationship with him in the state of Tennessee here, we got to talking and he introduced me then to Steve. And then Steve and Lynn and Lydia and I, we went to dinner uh, uh, about a week and a half ago. And he said, hey man, I'm going to get out for some vacation time. Would you like to fill the pulpit for me? And I was like, brother, I'd be pleased to, to bring God's word to the body here. And super um, excited for that. So um, I'm glad that we're here. We'll be hanging around afterwards for a period of time. So please don't be a stranger to us and uh you know for a while we'll probably just call you dude and chick so i hope that's okay because um as much as i like to say that i'm really good with names it's one of the worst things in my life um i do also serve in my my, my kind of my day job right now is i'm a i'm a high school substitute teacher in williamson county so i was in nolensville high school all pretty much all this week so serving there i was subbing for uh sarah Landing's uh, AP literature class and her English senior class. And you can tell senioritis is totally set in. If there's any seniors in this room, I, I, I know, I feel you. You're about ready to leave and you want to get on with it. So, um, And then spent some time uh, subbing over for 
Coach Tomlinson, the wrestling coach, uh, go Nolensville High School wrestling team. I heard you guys did a good job in that regard. And so just uh, getting a chance to serve that way. And so I've had a chance to just run around Williamson County in a lot of capacities and serving in those ways. So uh, excited for that. What makes me really uh, excited about being in a public gathering like this is not just because I'm new to you, but the fact that the church is in a culture and definitely in a season and a time that needs to be visual and present and available. And so I'm reminded of this as a pastor that this church is not its only church in the town. In fact, uh, before I get started in preaching today, I'd like to just list two churches uh, that I would like to pray for uh, before we get started here in, in God's word. And that's praying for Life Community with Pastor Jay as they're gathering and then praying for uh, Redemption City Church with Pastor Jedediah over in Franklin. And I would love to just pray for those churches as well as us gathered here at Sunset Hills that the gospel is going out unashamedly and that people are being transformed, renewed, and saved by the power of Jesus Christ. And so if you would just uh, entreat me to do that with you, um, then we'll get started uh, in continuing worship and we'll be in our scriptures in 1 Corinthians 15 this morning. Father God, I just thank you so much for just bringing us together in the house. Uh, Lord, that uh, it's not by accident that you brought us here, it's by design. Lord, we may have put ourselves together, put the clothes on, ate a little breakfast, shuffled out the door, drove here, but Lord, it's by your providence and by your design that you would have us be here. And Lord, whether we're seekers that are still looking into the claims of Christianity, which uh, we welcome that and we welcome those who are, whether we're stumbling through our faith and we would need to be renewing that faith by way of confession and repentance, or whether we're sold out for you and we're excited about being used and used up to the fullest uh, before we would see you in glory, we thank you for that individual as well. And so all of us get this prime opportunity to be worshipers and Lord you look for worshipers in truth and in spirit and these are the ones that you seek and so I pray that you will be seeking them out in another house called Life Community Church with Pastor Jay that the gospel would be preached courageously out of that church this morning unashamedly and that people would be changed transformed and saved Lord for Redemption City Church in Franklin I pray for Pastor Jedediah and that church as it gathers that they too would be preaching and teaching Christ and Christ alone and so Lord we thank you we submit now as we look into your word the authority of your word into our lives to inform us to inspire us but more importantly to uh, change us into the image of Jesus and that we would walk in accordance to it so I ask all this in your good name hide me behind the cross as I preach this morning amen amen well if you have your Bibles please go to 1 Corinthians 15 um, I got to listen to Steve's message last week and uh, it was kind of like a, a vision uh, message, I believe. And my question is this before I get into this passage is uh, when you get a new car um, and you're excited about it, it's got that new car smell, uh, it's got all the bells and the whistles that you'd hoped for, um, what is it that is required for that car if it's if it's fuel-based, what is it that you need to make it go, right? So it's pointless to have a really nice car that you've just spent money and not have gas in it, right? 
uh, wouldn't that just be the most embarrassing thing for you to just wake up and go look at this brand new car that's been delivered to my home and it's sitting right there in the driveway and you're excited to get ready to go to your journey or a trip and there's nothing in it. It's without fuel, it does not move. And I would think that this morning as you're gonna hear a very familiar message to some of you, that this fuel that I'm gonna mention to you is the fuel that's going to continue to keep the vision of this church moving in the direction that Jesus would have for this church, and that's the gospel. The gospel is the very fuel that needs to go in all of our lives, and it needs to be one that we constantly come back to and are reminded of. And so, for me, when I look at the gospel, it's not just a one-time experience, it's an everyday encounter with who the living Christ is in my life, and so too, I would say that it would need to be the same for all of us who would claim to be Christ followers. And so I'm hoping that this will be just a familiar word to some of you, but it would be an important word to you. In fact, I've titled this message, The Gospel of First Importance, out of 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. And before we get into that text to read it its entirety, I wanted to give you some statistics of a Gallup poll that was taken of important events of the first century or from events of the century past from the viewpoints of just people. And some of these uh, top 18 you're gonna agree with and then I'm gonna ask you the question, could you add a couple more? And I would love to get your response to hear a few more of those. But here are the important events in human history according to just everyday folks like you and I. Number one, World War II. I'd agree that probably is one of the major events that's ever happened in the lifetime of humanity is World War II and all of its effects and effects of how it was done. Women gaining the right to vote was number two. Dropping an atomic bomb in Hiroshima was coming in at number three. The Nazi Holocaust of World War II. The passage of the civil rights in 1964 came in at number five. Number six was World War I. Landing a man on the moon in 1969 made the list. The assassination of President Kennedy was another one in 1963. The fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989. The U.S. Depression of the 1930s. The breakup of the Soviet Union of the 1900s. The Vietnam War of the 60s and early 70s. Charles Lindbergh's transatlantic flights in 1927. The launching of the Russian Sputnik satellites in the 1950s. I mean, you're getting a lot of history here. Number 15 was the Korean War in the early 50s, the Persian Gulf War in the 1990s and 1991. The impeachment of President Bill Clinton in 98 made the list in the Gallup poll. And then of course the Watergate scandal involving President Richard Nixon in 1970s. So those are the top 18 of this particular survey that I looked up online. If you could add a couple more, what would it be? Landing on the moon. Computers. Computers, the invention of just the computer. Oh man, I remember when those things were this big and now they're this big. You know, isn't that crazy? So yeah, that's, that's true. Anything else? The internet. The internet, the internet of course. What else? The Afghan war. Is that what somebody said? Okay. A couple more, a couple more major things in human history, maybe here in America. What's that? The car, the invention of the car, thanks to uh, Gerald Ford, right? I, I, I guess it would be him. Pardon? Oh, yeah. Thank you very much for electricity. 
and 9-11. Yeah, significant turning point for our country. And I would say that like for my wife Lydia, she loves Civil War history. We homeschool our kids until about high school and then we release them into high school. And she really enjoys Civil War revolutionary history. I'd say those are for America, those are big events for us as Americans and stuff like that. So these are important things, right? So when you consider these important events in American history, just history at large, what do you think the Apostle Paul would consider as the most important thing in all of human history? And he would say it, of first importance is the gospel. Of all the things that Paul would be able to list, a, a man who, who planted you know, churches for three particular missionary journeys, somebody who ended up uh, writing about two-thirds of the New Testament that we read, study, and uh, look at today. This of first importance becomes really the fuel, if you will, that drives in the Christian faith and message. And so I wanted to take a look at that this morning with you. So would you entreat me to do something that's a little bit kind of high church, I guess, but would you stand with me as I read God's word this morning? We're gonna be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and we'll be reading verses one through 11. If you have your Bibles, you can go there. You can just look at our screens as well. Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word, I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles and last of all, he, of one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me whether then it is I or they, so we preach and so you believe. And this is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. So the big idea that I want you to kind of get away with is this. Keeping the gospel on top is essential for every Christ follower to receive, to remain, and to proclaim throughout your whole life in Christ. That the gospel is so essential to you as a Christian that it's never something that you can exhaust. It's bottomless, it's completely powerful, it encompasses all that you should be and are in Christ Jesus. And for the reasons of what will break down in the text today, that you need to receive it, you should stand firm and hold fast to it, remain in it, and then of course you should be proclaiming it throughout your entirety of your life until Christ come again or he take you home. Let me give you a, a little bit of a, a graphic to help show this to you. It looks like this. 
And the reason I want to put this up here because I want you to get a mental picture. Again, visions and mission statements in churches are important. But if they don't have this locked in, I think then you're going to be running sometimes in a wrong direction or perhaps you're the vehicle that has got the wrong fuel in it. So if the gospel doesn't stay on top or keeping this gospel on top, then what could happen if you put the church on the top, then we can get stuck in what's called traditionalism where it is pretty much what we can all fall prey to, what even the first century people that Jesus were having to confront of old covenant nature as he was going to unveil a new covenant theology and a new covenant people, that the church, as important as it is to God, is not what should be on top of first importance. Now that might sound a little radical, but Stay with me for a second. If the gospel to Paul is of first importance, then shouldn't it be the first thing that's on the top? And then it moves from left over to right, and it should be the culture. Not that the culture is more important per se than the church, but isn't the church to be in the culture? Isn't the church to be the salt and the light among the culture? And isn't the gospel then supposed to be this radiant, Example of Christ exalted so that it can inform the sinner and the individual and the groups and the towns and the peoples and the cities of cultures, of any culture, of any tribe, tongue, nation, or people, that the gospel is the most important thing to your life. And so if it moves in that direction, then I think you've got a healthy perspective of what mission statements and visions and what churches can rally and stay behind all the time. Because again, if you not only take the culture and you put it on top, guess what you're going to get? You're going to get shifting fads and creativities that will have just sort of a flash in the pan moment. But Paul, he was in it for the long haul, wasn't he? He wasn't in it for a momentary time. He knew that the gospel was going to be something that was going to have to transcend, be above cultures and time and place because the God that is a part of that culture narrative of the gospel needs to be transcending over the top of it so I wanted to just keep that graphic in your mind to keep it there because again listening to Pastor Steve give Sunset Hills sort of a bit of a charge for this year and the years to come if we can keep as a church and I say this as a visitor but as a Christian if we can keep the gospel on the top then we keep it in its place of first importance so let's go back into the text can we so verse 1 Paul says now I would remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you which you've received in which you stand I like the first part of what Paul does is he comes back to this very familiar term of brothers a collective group and it was in our life group class that we mentioned this a little bit that brothers and even sisters, as you could see maybe defined more succinctly, individuals of varied socioeconomic um, age, um, gender group coming together as one. And what looks beautiful in here is the multi-generational, multi-ethnic view of the gospel as you would look around this is what is welcoming by the grace of God. He welcomes us. There's not caste systems in the Christian faith. There's not like it's going to be these people and not these people. 
When Jesus comes to try to save somebody and wants to call you to himself, he's calling you as that individual. You've been made in that way. You're born in that place, but yet he calls you to this higher thing called the gospel of Christ. And so this term of brother and sister is so cool. I remember this when um, I was a kid and I'm gonna share a little bit more of this at the end of the message about how I really was saved in Christ. But when I was a kid, I was introduced to the Christian faith with a mom who had a real interest in wanting to take her son, Eric, and her daughter, Malia, to church. She was raised, I think, as an Episcopal, or maybe it was a Lutheran, I can't remember which. But it was one of those, but was real nominal in her expression of that. And as she was remarried to my father, stepdad, um, who was definitely kind of a nominal Catholic, she thought, you know what? We need to get my boy and my little girl to a place called the church because they teach moral principles. The schools don't do that very well, but these churches should. And so time and time again, I remember getting the little clip-on tie and shuffled out the door and we would visit churches in my little town of Ramona, California in the East County of San Diego. And we happened to land in this one place called Neighborhood Baptist Church. And I'll never forget, ever forget, Art Harris. Art Harris was this man who had the coolest handlebar mustache. I mean, something you could probably hang a towel from. I mean, it was just awesome. And he came to me early on as a young young teenage boy and he shook my hand he said good morning brother and then I was hearing terms brother and sister and we're talking like advanced age folks 50 years difference and they were calling each other these family terms as in a kid who broke who was in a broken relationship a broken home divorced parents those kinds of terms really turned my ears open like brother Sister, how is that possible? And what does the mother really look like? I mean, <laughs> wow. And I got to know more of what that personal family term was that Paul himself um, highlights here. And so this is a great opportunity to see that the gospel is for the family. It's fitting, it says in Hebrews, that he, Jesus, whom all things exist in bringing many sons, and I would say daughters as well, to glory, should make the founder of their salvation, God the Father, perfect through the suffering that is the cross. This makes Christianity really unique because then as many preachers and teachers would say, and you've probably heard, the ground is what? Level at the foot of the cross. The ground becomes level at the foot of the cross relationship is what he desires. God desires a relationship with you. And perhaps what's what you might be missing as you're here this morning. You might be actually somebody who's maybe been attending Sunset Hills for a period of time, or maybe you're new with us this morning. And what God doesn't really want is your religion. He wants the relationship with you. He wants to have you in the family and in a family way. Second is the re word remind. The word remind is also the same word that you can use, I think it's in the NIV called declare. And it's connected to the word preach. And Paul's reminding us 
in this letter, especially as he reminds us in the letter to the Romans, the Romans in chapter 10, verse 14, how then will they call on Jesus or him who has not believed? And how will they believe if they've never heard? And how will they hear if someone does not preach? The gospel is a reminded word to the Corinthians as well as it is to us at Sunset Hills that we should be reminded that the preaching of the gospel is actually very essential to the advancement of the gospel. Now I'm very appreciative of what's going on on college campuses in Asbury and and beyond. Honestly, I really am just continuing to pray for that seed of revival to be sparking and igniting more places and more regions and that not just young adults but all people would would just sense the power of the Holy Spirit and a move across the landscape that we call America. I will caution you this, I would say that we need a preached word within the revival because if you're a student of the Great Awakenings, the preached word was the thing that was driving this because remember what we talk about if you have a car that's got no fuel it's just a nice car sitting there by itself you've got to have fuel and I think that the power of a movement that needs to be a revival of the Holy Spirit inside the lives of people should be the declaration of a preached word of coming to repentance in Christ alone that is something that you could get behind when it comes to the people of the past with the Billy Sundays and the Billy Grahams and the, uh, the great awakenings of, of Whitfield and, and alike. And so this is, this is what I'm hoping for. As this simple message, I watched the very first one and what a simple little message it was, but the gospel was being presented. And then worshipers were gathering around that preached word. And I think that's what we need to see, that we need to be reminded of that The gospel should be heralded, it should be preached, and not necessarily in formal fashion like we're doing this morning. I think you are capable of preaching the gospel in your workplace. Because the Bible would say in 1 Peter chapter 3 that we should give an answer for the hope that lies within us, doing it with gentleness and respect. Are you ready to be able to declare the gospel to somebody who not just only ask, but you would ask them, are you um, in a place where you would like to talk about the Christian faith and message? Well, as we look into this, the word gospel, I think most of you might know this, is just a modern form of evangelism. That's our English word, and it just means good news or good tidings, glad tidings that's to be heralded. In the first century, um, I love what the Apostle Paul says in Romans, which is my favorite book of the New Testament, uh, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. It's the power of the gospel, a salvation for mankind. Why is that? Why is it the power of the gospel? I would say because we, you and I, were sinners. Uh, there's a, a classic uh, disclosure of a, of a word, two words put together called total depravity. That you were totally depraved, you were unable to be able to do anything but live in sin until the grace of God comes to save you from your sin. 
And this total depravity is like what Charles Spurgeon would say as the salt flavors every drop of the Atlantic, so sin affects every atom of our nature. And friends, that was me earlier in my life, that that's where I was. I was not a bad person, you know. I wasn't out committing crimes, if you will, as if that was the important thing, that I'm supposed to, like, measure my life by the things I don't do versus the things I do. But I realized that it was the power of God that needed to save me, not my own power. It was the power of the gospel that needed to inform Eric that you're a sinner and you are completely lost and and you cannot save yourself. I remember the opportunity oftentimes, especially in youth ministries, I would talk about salvation as sort of like this life preserver thing that is thrown out there and you would reach for it. And then I'm thinking, wait, all the scriptures that I'm reading and seeing talk about you're dead. And so I had to get to this place of like, no, Eric, you're unable to even reach for the life preserver without the power of God. You're actually at the bottom of your own ocean, dead in your own sin, and you need to be revived. And only in the ministry of Christ and the cross and in the power of his resurrection can you then be revived and live as a Christ follower. And you need to be resuscitated, regenerated. And then as you are that, then you walk in a newness of life and you live for his glory and not your own anymore. It was so revealing to me that this experience of the gospel then became that fuel for my faith in Christ. And Paul reminds us to set our course in gospel fluency. Look at the gospel witness. He talks about this, that you preached word, that it's a word that which you stand in, that you stay in it, that you persevere, you, you linger long in the gospel, and you receive it by this action of staying in it this experience of not just a present salvation of something that happened in the past where you said a sinner's prayer at a camp or something, but that salvation is working itself out in fear and trembling today. That you're able to look yourself in the mirror and go, man, I'm, I'm so thankful, Jesus, that I'm yours. And I, I just need you to continue to increase my faith and to walk humbly before you and to continue to make much of you in my life. I mean, this is the contrast that we even saw in the New Testament when Jesus is illustrating the one who is just full of religion, who's looking down upon the other one who's beating his chest and asking God to just increase his faith as they're both at the temple together. And Jesus is illustrating, saying, this man right here is in the right position, in the right place. He's the one who will stand firm. When we have a humility of Christ, there's powerful things that are gonna be awaiting our lives. And so we, we look into this experience of standing firm, standing firm. The, the writer in Hebrews would sometimes talk about this in the first several chapters of not drifting away. My question to some of you is, have you drifted? And here's the good news, the gospel news is that you can return. You can come, even if you're drifting in your sin, gatherings like this are places for sinners to be able to come and confess that and say Lord forgive me of that like pastor was talking about earlier of using this as an altar even of repentance and saying Lord forgive me and I want to return to you and if you've drifted you know it and I'm just calling you as a preacher to say come back 
come back because the firmest place that you can be is right in the center of God's will and in Christ. That's the best place for you. And I get it that there's probably things that you have going on in your life that I have no idea about. Maybe it's your difficult marriage. Maybe it's a difficulty in your health. Maybe it's a trouble in your finances. It could be a difficult relationship or something of that nature. You've been talked about or uh, you know, it's abuse. Whatever those things could be, I would say that whether it's the sins you've committed or the sins that have been committed against you, what Christ calls a Christian to do is to hold firm, to stand firm in the storms of life. That's what we were singing a little earlier as well. And so this is what Paul wants to remind us to do, right? So even the apostle Peter knew about this. In fact, he knew about this so much that it was historical, this resurrection of Jesus Christ. He takes, uh, in the second chapter of Acts, he talks about this from Psalm 1610. For you'll not abandon my soul to Sheol or let the Holy One see corruption. So it's a double thing that David uh, is saying here in Psalm 1610 that Peter captures at the day of Pentecost that that not only will you not abandon me, God, because you're gonna cause my feet to remain steadfast, but it's your Holy One that is Jesus. He will never see corruption because the resurrection is going to be a promise kept. And that's what, again, makes vision statements and mission statements and churches like Sunset Hills alive is because Jesus isn't dead. He's alive. We worship a risen King the risen king is necessary for the early church and it's necessary for our church this morning. This becomes not just historical, it becomes cultural. We don't just rest on the history of Jesus. We see that that history of Christ then becomes the foundation place for us to courageously look into the 21st century right now, into the pluralism and the syncretism of our day, and to be able to give an answer for the hope that's within you and I with gentleness and respect and courage and in humility call people back to this foundation, this historical foundation of the gospel of first importance. The gospel is great. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, therefore since we've been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into grace which we stand in which we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You've been justified if you're a Christ follower because Christ made it so. And then in that work of the cross and that victory over his death and the power of God raising him to new life and resurrection life, he gives that to us. He imparts that to us. He, as theologians would say, imputes it to us. And we are able to have that kind of power. You just look into then verse two, you've believed this transforming gospel. Earlier in 1 Corinthians, he says, the word of the cross is foolish just to those who are perishing, but those who are being saved, it's the power of God. It's the power of God. Let me ask you a question. Are you ever in your life realizing that the power of the salvation that you carry in Christ is the bold power that you need to carry into culture and in such a way that it's something that you don't have to be ashamed of. This is, this is surprising to me when it comes to young adults. So the teenagers in the room, the college students in the room, I, I, I'm always 
wanting to pull up alongside of them and say, don't back down from your witness. Don't back down from the testimony of Christ who is in you. And in fact, be tethered to the scriptures and the assurance of Christ in the scriptures, but also be tethered into a community of faith that wants to pray for you and encourage you and exhort you and uplift you when you're in the culture, when the culture is telling you, you know what, just nominalize this thing. It's Jesus plus something else. And we know that to be a lie. It's not Jesus plus something else. It's only the explicit gospel. And so that's what we need to be praying for, especially for the generation that's now. The generation that's experiencing this revival. That we who are older, I'm 56 years old, that I'm not standing by going, oh, good job, you guys, but I'm literally moving into their world. I mean, I love substitute teaching because I'm in their world. I'm being able to be a part of the struggle and I walk the halls of our campuses in this county and I prayer walk when I go from class to class, asking Jesus to advance the gospel evermore, always going one person at a time as I'm looking in the eyes of young adults every day. And so I would really call you out to this and I would say, hey, it's our job as a church to be able to endure this, to deliver this message of first importance. And then Paul just gives us a very succinct passage here. And this is a really a good one to always fall back to. You're always wondering, well, where do I go in scripture that is gonna give me something to talk to somebody about when it comes to how to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Paul lays it right out here for us in verses three, four, and five. I delivered to you of first importance what I also received. So when did Paul receive that? On his way to Damascus, right? And what was the apostle Paul doing? He wasn't going to try to plant a church at that time. He was gonna go lock up Christians and persecute them. And what does God do in all of his power and his goodness and his love for Paul? He knocks him off of his horse like he needs to knock every one of us off of our horses of pride and selfishness and sinfulness. And he brings us to that space where we're like, we are undone. All we have to do is look to Jesus. And for Paul, he was now in this right place with Christ and he was gonna be used by him and he was gonna go bear witness of this. He received this gospel and then he talks about it from the way of sin in accordance with the scriptures. The wages of sin is death, the scriptures say. We fall short of the glory of God, the scriptures say. And this is missing the mark. If you're ever talking to people, when I'm ever talking to people about like they've experienced a Christian faith or they're wanting to be baptized, I wanna make sure that they understand the, not the importance of sin, but the, the real effects of sin. Like not only the fact that you go, yeah, I guess I have sin, I've blown it. And then you again try to qualify it, but I haven't done it as bad as that person. You just need to realize that, no, wait, the Bible says in Romans 3 that there's no one righteous, not even one of us. And so my access point into the favor of God is only gonna be in the perfected work of Jesus. And so you have to get to this place of sin and have conversations about that. That's why conversations and, and, uh, about, about sin is important for us to be able to come to because it gives us a chance to say well what does the scriptures say about this and we can open up our Bibles boldly and be able to say 
It is, it is Christ who can take care of your sin. In fact, Peter would say this when he writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and we would live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Matthew Henry says, as, as a reflection of this doctrine of Christ's death and his resurrection, that is foundational of Christian faith, that remove this and all the hopes of our eternity sink at once. And is holding this truth firm that Christians stand in day of trials and keeping the faith of God. And when we sinners, by divine grace, turned into saints, we ca- God causes the remembrance of former sins to make them humble, diligent, and faithful. When we can come to the reality, we can be then the testifying witnesses that are later identified in this section of 1 Corinthians 15, verses 5 through 9. You become, I become, in real time in the 21st century, wrapped into the narrative of Hebrews when it says that there's a great cloud of witnesses. As a Christ follower, you get to be a proclaiming follower of Jesus, not just a passive one. So my question is like, who are you who are you trying to reach? Who are you praying for? Uh, there was a, a little initiative that the North American Mission Board had put out. Who is your one? Who is that? How are you engaging in those conversations? If you know that you're being reminded right now by Pastor Eric about the gospel that is of first importance and that you have received it and that you're going to remain steadfast even in the trials and the difficulties of your life, now what do you do with it? Are you going to take this gospel and you're going to take it to your workplace on Monday? Are you going to take this gospel and go to school with it on Monday? Are you going to take this gospel and you're going to go to your ladies group or to your rec center or to whatever? You're going to go to the grocery store and you're going to have the readiness of the gospel of Jesus Christ upon your lips. Not just as good service. I I totally think that that is an important piece. That service definitely helps usher in, but it's more than that. Let me give you an example of that. How many of you watched the Super Bowl? Okay, I was neither an Eagles fan or a Chiefs fan. I just want to let you know I had no dog in the hunt, but I'm glad that that Super Bowl happened because those were two wonderful teams grinding it out for good football that day. Did you know that there was about 113 plus million viewers for the Super Bowl this year? Which is pretty outstanding. In there, there's all of these commercials, right? And those commercials run in what increments? 15 seconds, 30 seconds to a minute, and they're in the millions of dollars to produce, which is, which is pretty cool and pretty expensive. There was a couple ads that ran, I don't know if you saw them, called He Gets You. Do you remember those? I thought those were pretty neat. I thought those were pretty neat. And I, I liked the way that they presented he, Jesus, he gets you. Where did they get that from, though? I wish that we could have like gone into that deeper. Like, where does he get you come from? And I would say I anchor that in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2, where Jesus, who was made in our image, in our likeness, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was made because He has made this image, and so God the Son became God the Bod, and He shows up 
and he lives a life that is sinless because we are sinful and then he dies the substitutionary death that we deserved to go on to get not just us in our sinful plight but give us victory out of sin and into a relationship with God the Father. That's the gospel that was trying to be presented in what Albert Moeller would have called a prototype of evangelism. Proto-evangelism. It was, it was a type of evangelism that was being given, but I would, I would submit this to you. If you were there seeing those commercials, it would, it would behoove you to be able to say, you know what? If you were with a friend that day and you knew that friend was a good friend of yours and possibly not a believer, you get into the conversation, hey, that commercial, did you understand that? At all, did you, did you get the point on that? And then the, let, let the Holy Spirit guide the conversation into that. Take every opportunity, take it captive to be able to see that that's something we can do. And then our mission statements and our value and purposes at Sunset Hills will become then the gospel on top and the fuel that moves us forward. Well, what's the last part of this? I just wanted to tell you a little bit about just my own Christian journey, my journey in the gospel. I told you earlier that my mom dressed me up in a little suit and tie, a little clip-on thing. Clip-on ties. They're so strange. It's like a floby. For those of you who know, it's the suck cut. It's like just a unique element in life. And she took me around, and, and, and it was neat because I would say that I heard the gospel there at the Neighborhood Baptist Church. And as a teenager, it was a privileged place to be able to see that happen in my life. And I got to go to youth camp. And it was a youth camp I was able to hear the gospel presentation from the, the keynote speaker that week, Larry Bubb. And in so doing, I was able to make a profession of faith one night where I said a sinner's prayer. But I don't think I really understood the fullness of the gospel then at that point yet. I'm appreciative of the fact that God was gracious enough to reveal all of it to me. But you fast forward to when I was about 19 and a half years old and I had been in a church and going to church, been a part of a youth group, going to youth group, and yet I'm thinking I'm missing still something and it's the weight of my sin that's affecting the relationship that I'm supposed to have with Christ. And I'm in this church in Poway, California. It would happen to be the church that my wife's father pastored and they had an old school revival. Some of you may remember those old school revivals full-on weekend long, just preaching and singing and fellowshipping. And I went, I went. It was a packed house, four or 500 people. And I was going to go, and I was going to go because my friend Rob DeVries was going to go too. And the guy didn't show up. Still hold him to that to this day. But I'm sitting in the middle of a room full of people, and Dr. Leroy Ganey is preaching, and as this 19 and a half year old man who's probably been living a real duplicitous life with one foot in the world and one foot in the church, just trying to live on the fence of Christianity, which by the way, I'll tell you, there is no fence. 
I sit in this room and the Holy Spirit just gets a hold of me. I mean, all the people in the room disappear and this guy is talking to me. And he's preaching from the Old Testament out of Ezekiel from the Valley of Dry Bones. And all I can remember at that moment, you guys, is that the gospel clarity was it was purely clear for me that if I died, I would go to hell. Not any part of my religion, not any part of even my one-minute confession at a camp, but my relationship with Christ was not fluid or fluent, that it was borrowed and it was religious. And he was nailing me because I was a dead man walking, just a dead man's bones. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit and God the Father just gave me new life. It was like as if Jesus was meeting Nicodemus and he said, you know, this is what you need to be saved in. You need to be born of the flesh and you need to be born of the Spirit. And I couldn't help myself at the end. I literally had to get out as a college kid and I walked down. I'm, I'm, I don't even know why my feet are moving, but I'm moving and I'm going forward to meet the preacher and the preacher's like standing down here and big black man, Dr. Leroy Ganey, and he's still dabbing from a preached word for an hour. And I walk up to him, I said, sir, I don't know exactly where to begin or what to do, but I, I, think, I'm, I think I'm a Christian. I think God just saved me. And if, if what you said was true, then I've, I've got lots of changes to make. And everything I said was true. It came from the word of God. And I mean, he's still hooping as I'm right there in front of him. And I'm like, man. And I remember turning that day I never had met really Lydia yet and I never really had known this church yet and I walked out and I walked out with such peace such assurance and such purpose to know that God wants all of my life not just a Sunday morning show up or a momentary experience of goodness he wants everything of me he wants all the brokenness he wants all the ugliness he wants to transform everything in Eric's life and it was so amazing and I'm still as I tell you this story today so far removed of that day in history it still just brings me emotion inside that to me is the gospel of first importance that's the gospel that has an impactful relationship to me that just, it can't keep me quiet anymore. I want to share it with you, and I would share it with you if, even if I wasn't preaching today, and I got to know you, I would tell you about Jesus. That's what I invite you to. Perhaps you have come to Sunset Hills for years. Perhaps you've been new to this church, maybe today, or over the last several weeks or months. My invitation to you as we get ready to sing and continue in our worship is that you would come. That you would come just as you are, just the way you are. God's not asking you to fix yourself up, dress yourself up, get yourself prepared. He just wants you to come broken, busted, bankrupt, and he wants to just take you and put his Holy Spirit in you. And he wants to make you a gospel-fluent, gospel-on-top, individual that lives in community with others who do the same 
until he comes again. This is the call of this church. This is the call of the church in the 21st century. And I would invite you to come. This altar is available to you uh, to, to pray at. I will be just kind of hanging out over here in the corner. And, uh, and I just want to close in a word of prayer. And I just thank you for allowing me to be your guest preacher today. It was a privilege worshiping with you. I look forward to getting to know you and to worship with you some more. Father, just thank you so much of the gospel being on top and of first importance. May we be not just reminded from your, your word, though that is absolutely important. May we be reminded in our lives as we go from this place even today into our routines of life that we would be thinking about how this gospel has impacted us and then how this gospel is transforming us and moving us into places that sometimes are very uncomfortable for us, calling us into conversations that we should have with folks because, Lord, you want to use every Christian in this room, not just the preachers and the teachers, not just the worship pastors and ministry leaders. You want to use every Christian to reach other people, to do the great commission of going and making disciples. We thank you for your love and your grace that, that undergird all of that. And Lord Jesus, I just pray for any person in our audience this morning that they would come and they would renew their faith in you. Maybe that's their point, that they would come here to just say, Lord, renew me to be that unashamed Christ follower in the culture today. May they use this altar as that. If there's anybody in this room that is not a follower of Jesus Christ but wants to look into the claims of Christianity, Lord, may they be able to come and, and meet with me and we would be able to just have conversation about how that starts and what that looks like. Lord, continue to encourage our faith. Continue to use this church to be a beacon of hope to Middle Tennessee and beyond. Lord, thank you so much for its ministry and its heritage and its history. And Lord, I just pray that Pastor Steve and his wife Lynn will come back from their vacation recharged, refreshed, and just excited to be with their community of faith here. We love you now. We continue to worship you and just seek you and ask of you to fall upon us in this gathering this morning. In Christ's name, amen. All to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely give and I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily the altar's open if you want to come
Lord, we thank you for today, God. Thank you for the opportunity that we had, Lord, to hear your word, God, your preached word this morning. Lord, my prayer is that we can leave this building with peace knowing that we have surrendered all to you. God, if there's one here that maybe couldn't bring themselves publicly to step out of the aisle and come to this altar, that God may, they just have the boldness to hang around after service and have a conversation with Pastor Eric or one of our deacons, God, or just a friend that they have who maybe invited them here. Lord, take us out to our workplaces, our school campuses, our homes, God, all the places that you've called us to love and minister to. God, let us be that word that Pastor Eric talked about. God, people can't refute our testimonies and what you've done in our lives. God, let us share that with everyone that we come in contact with. Lord, I love that the ground at the cross is level. You've called, Lord, anyone who would to come. God, we're so thankful for that. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. John, is it on now? Check that awesomeness. Um, I have a couple resources. Uh, there's so many good resources, you guys, now that we live in such a robust time of Christian writing and Christian faith. I mean, you've got to kind of move through with some discernment over this. But um, this guy, Greg Gilbert, has written a little booklet called What is the Gospel? And I'll leave that up here for you to take a look at. And this is one of many, like Ray Ortman has another one, uh, the work of the gospel and just uh, explicit gospel by Matt Chandler. These are good resources for you to read, study, and really become fluent in gospel language and conversation. And, and then second, for discipleship, I know that this church loves discipling one another, and this is a way to help disciple people just individually. It's growing in Christ, and it's two forms. It's on the lessons of your assurance of your salvation, and then the second part is lessons on your Christian living. And I use this one-on-one -on -one in a lot of ways, so I would go through this with individuals and just have a time of discussion with them in places like that. I'll leave that. And then I failed to hit a part of my PowerPoint that I missed, and that was on uh, a, a thing called the second greatest story ever told. And perhaps you haven't crafted your personal testimony. Um, this is a, a resource, uh, it's that one, that I was uh, helped Doug Fields do some editing on. Um, he was the purpose-driven church uh, saddleback guy for years uh, past. And um, it just is a real good tutorial on how to be able to craft your Christian testimony not just your salvation testimony, but also how you're growing in Jesus as a testimony. And it's a PDF, and uh, I don't know if one of the deacons can give me a hand on this, but if we have a clipboard and you want to put your name and your email address on it, be super happy to send that to you as something of, of use to you so that you can craft that testimony. So again, you would be the church that's in culture that can give an answer for the hope that the culture needs about how to be saved and that they could hear from you and that you can give them the right answers that Jesus is our salvation and our means of salvation. So 
Thank you so much. Amen. Pastor, thank you. Pastor Eric, thank you for all your resources and your word this morning. Yeah. Hey everybody, there's some great opportunities for you to plug in. Ladies ministries, men ministries, student ministries, kids ministries. So if you haven't plugged in, there's plenty of opportunities there in the bulletin. Look to the person beside you and say, Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. Have a great week, everybody. Hi, good morning. This is Kelly. I want to take a moment to personally thank you for joining us for today's live stream. I hope today's message was encouraging and inspiring for you. You know what? We would love to hear from you. If you're here today and you made a decision for Christ, or maybe you just have a simple prayer request, we would love to know about that. You can text the word prayer to 615-776-1807. One of her pastors will be back in touch with you. Hey, if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to see you in person. You can join us for life groups at 9 a.m. or blended worship at 10 a.m. And let me say this, from your youngest family member to your family member that has the most years of life experience, we have a place for you. You know, I believe that we're living in unprecedented times. People all around us are looking for sources of hope. And you and I, we both know where that hope is found. We have a God who loves us. And he wants to meet us right where we are. But you know what? He loves us too much to keep us there. So come and join us, whether online or in person. We would love to shake your hand, give you a smile, and do life with you here at Sunset Hills. Have a great week, everybody.